Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Every now and again, God will bless you with meeting a friend that has so much to add to your life, a person of integrity and energy and insight. Such a friend for me is Craig Harvey. Hello, this is Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. I'm so glad that you joined me today. I'm going to be interviewing Craig Harvey. Craig is the co-founder and president of North American Senior Benefits and a managing partner of Integrity Marketing Group. Under Craig's direction, NASB Salesforce has become one of the fastest growing senior benefits agencies in the United States. In developing a reputation as a catalyst for rapid success with his effective and innovative techniques, Craig Harvey has become a sought-after advisor, counselor, consultant to carriers in the industry looking to increase sales in final expense, a brilliant businessman with a rich and diverse background. Welcome, Craig. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. Dr. Robin, thank you for having me, sir. So glad you could take time out of your busy schedule and join us I want to get right into this interview. I'm delighted that you've joined us. I, first of all, uh, I noticed, in, as I did some research on you, that you played college quarterback at Middle Georgia College for four years. Is that Am I right on that? Boy, you're, you're going back a, a long way, doctor. But yes, <laughs> yes, those were those used to be the glory days, man. I spent two years uh, at, at Middle Georgia, loved it. And uh, I, I tell you, I often, I often say, had I not you know, spent 15 years in ministry and then here going on another, uh, you know, 15 plus in business, I, w- I would have loved to have been a coach. That, that, that's probably uh, ultimately uh, what, I, what I tried to do both in the pulpit and here uh, in the boardroom or in, the, in the, uh, the business world. I love coaching. And, you know, if it hadn't been this, I, I'd probably rather it had been football. You know, it's so interesting. I I didn't play college football. I played quarterback in high school. Uh, I probably would have gone under college, except that I was small, slow, and lacking in talent. But apart from that, I had a great college career ahead of me. (laughs) But I, I did enjoy quarterback in high school. And it's my observation. Do you agree with this? That playing quarterback in American football is a tremendous place to learn leadership. Oh, absolutely. I mean, from, from terminology, uh, you know, verbiage, not only knowing what your responsibilities are, but the responsibilities of your O-line, of your, your, your running backs, be it the, 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 the routes the receivers are running, and, and the way people tick. I think that's a big thing, maximizing, uh, getting the most out of the people that uh, are, are surrounding you, everybody, you know, being unified, looking mm-hmm. downfield, mm-hmm. couldn't agree more. I uh, I did coach after college and uh, coach football and basketball and I and I refereed um, when I was in graduate school and I, I learned some things about taking criticism and not melting in the heat. I think refereeing helped me as much as coaching did. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Um, Craig, I want to I want to talk about the dramatic transition. Let Let me just say to you, I don't know that there's very many people that enjoy the level of success 15 years in the ministry, then jam the brakes on and turn hard to the right and enjoy that same level of success in business. 
How do you account for your ability to move so fast and so powerfully in ministry and then switch straight into business and, ex- and enjoy that level of success there? Well, Doc, you know, I've heard this said, I don't know who said it, but, you know, a lot of times uh, in in life, you know, you see somebody that achieves the level of success that that God has enabled me to be able to enjoy. It's obviously a nod from God, but it's that age old statement. If you see a turtle on a fence post, Mm. right, he had help getting there. Mm, mm. And we had a lot of help, man, a lot of help along the way. And I don't know, I, I think, I think a lot of, a lot of young men, and I want to say this the right way. When I say they get trapped in ministry, I want to be cautious with this because my late great father, Jack Harvey, would remind me of the, of the scripture, you know, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is it, you know, is it, so I don't want to mm. say that, that you, you should get out of ministry. But I, I do say this, we limit ministry to, to the behind the pulpit only. That's good. And for years, I, I kind of felt guilty that I felt a calling or I, I should say, a, a turning, so to speak, the rudder of my life. I really felt shifting. Nothing, nothing wrong at all in, in, in with ministry. I just got to a season where I, I, got, I, I really felt like I wanted to earn some money for my children. I had taken a speaking pastor position in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, that ministry uh, was when 2008 hit, and largely what happened, uh, they had a business meeting, and we had a, a, a large staff and. Um, I, I, like many that were there, received the news that we were taking a 50% cut in pay. And so my wife, who had a, an intense shoe addiction and shoe <laughs> habit, uh, was, wasn't ready to give that up. And so I, 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 I largely got into insurance to supplement my income because uh, I lost my health insurance and I lost half of my salary. And so that is that was really what exposed me kind of, you know, made me, forced me to put my toe in the water and, you know, to God be the glory. I was good at it. You know, I I don't know why we impose this guilt thing on pastors who shift careers. I, you know, the people use these verses of scripture, the calling of God is without repentance, all that kind of thing. But what God calls us to is to obey him. Isn't that right? I mean, and God might change directions. Maybe, I mean, it's, isn't there a time when St. Paul made sales and another time when he was an apostle? <laughs> That's right. And, and I don't see why we, why we fling this guilt on guys who, who go forward with their calling in Christ, their, their Christian faith, and move into a much more difficult arena, which is being a Christian in the business world. Well, for me, you know, leading, leading men, um, you know, at times, you know, young women that just in the, in the, from a ministerial standpoint— we, we really had a heart for the unchurched. When, when I was pastoring River City Worship Center, we did a billboard campaign all throughout the city, a church for people who don't like church. Mm. And that was our big calling card. We went after the college kids. We grew our ministry largely through athletics, uh, through softball, flag football, bowling, golf. Uh, uh, I, I used to run this huge, I say huge, we'd have 50 to you know 75 golfers show up. We did something fairways to heaven. Oh, I like it. I convinced the, uh, the, the, the golf courses that, hey, would you give us uh, half-off green fees if these guys will come? And so in order to get the half-off green fee, guess what? They had to listen to me you know, uh, for 10 minutes, share, share something uh, related to their grip on the club or their swing or what to do when they're in the rough. And I'd relate it you know, back to life. And you know, that's, that's largely how uh, we, we grew that ministry. 
and and think of the impact that you can have. I know Oral Roberts always used to say the average American male picks up the the sports page every morning before he picks up his Bible. And, and he, that's the reason he built the, the huge uh, basketball power at ORU, which sustains to this day, is because he knew he could reach people through other fields rather than just preaching on TV. That's so true. So true. I want to I want to shift gears a little bit here. I I, uh, I watch your videos and uh, listen to your teaching sometimes. I want to talk to you about something specific. Short. S H O R T. I want you to I want you to tell my listeners what each of those letters in that acrostic stands for. But do that quickly because I'm going to come back to one of them that I found absolutely intriguing. So what does short mean? Well, it's so funny. I wrote short. It's, it's interesting how your mind will work. I wrote short in a Longhorns parking lot before a huge leadership training event. And I was trying to find a way. I probably had about a thousand agents at the time, maybe 1500. And I just imagine you're, you're trying to teach young preachers to preach, mm. but they don't, but they don't want to use an outline. They, they want to preach from the heart. They want to speak from their gut. They, they want to flow, so to speak. I, I, I don't mind flowing. You know, I like that, but I'm, I'm into preparation. Yes. The separation is in the preparation. Yes. And so, I, you know, I, I was trying to look for something through an acronym where when uh, an individual was looking to bring on a new agent, you know, talk about the opportunity, what could I give them almost like uh, a sermon? where they could follow step-by-step. Step. And so short stands for story, history, opportunity, ride along, and then tracking. So when I'm having a conversation with someone about coming into our business, potentially, I either want to ask their story or tell them mine. Now, whoever goes first on the S, the other one does the H. So if I were to say, Dr. Rutland, tell me your story. Mm. And then after you'd finish, I'd say, well, sir, let me just take a minute and tell you my brief history, mm. vice versa. I would say, Dr. Well, let me just tell you my story. Then I'd say, before we get into the, the, the opportunity, so to speak, let me, let me just hear your history. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm establishing some rapport. I want to know a little bit of the person's background. By the way, I'm taking notes as to their story or history because generally speaking, a person will tell you their pain points. They'll tell you what it is that is troublesome about where they are or why they're even looking to get out of one thing and into another. Then the O is really where I would always say you, you kind of separate, differentiate yourself. What is different about your opportunity? I don't care what you're doing. Well, you know, your specific niche. Why should I listen to you? Why should I pay you to help me? Why should I uh, attend your church or uh, your seminar uh, or your class? What differentiates you? And so the O for us in ESB, uh, we would really, so to speak, uh, bring home uh, the reality of what differentiates our organization. And we would just, you know, really hone in there. The T, uh, or let's see, S-H-O, or excuse me, the R was right along. Yeah, but skip that one. I, skip that one. Okay, okay, I wanna, yeah, that's okay. the one I want to come back to. Go on to T. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Uh, well, so I used to say T was training, but I kind of, I kind of, I, I, I morphed it into tracking. And the reason tracking, I used to say all the time, you cannot expect what you don't inspect. Mm, so in good. other words, if I have expectations of you, but I'm not inspecting those expectations, inevitably, no one, no one that has the ability to fudge won't. I, I just believe that. You've got to have someone 
not babysitting you, not holding your hand, but really they care about your reality so much. And we call that accountability. But they're, they're willing uh, to say, listen, this was the goal. How well did you do at achieving it? Tracking. And what I found is when, when people knew they were being watched, when they knew that they were being checked up on, so to speak, it gave them just a greater ownership of uh, when they had to get on the scales and they knew I was going to look and see how much they weighed, mm, so to speak. Mm. They watched their diet uh, from a business standpoint more effectively. At the Leadership Institute that I teach, I always say quality is meeting expectations and holding people accountable to those expectations is just another way of saying tracking. I love it. I love it. Now, let's. I want to go to this one that intrigues me, and I have never heard it used in any way except with cops. So now I'm coming to, to the R. Talk about ride-along, S-H-O-R, ride-along, before it comes before tracking. I want to hear what you have to say about that. Well, the great uh, Alexander the Great, there was a, a, a study done with a gentleman by the name of Herodias. Back in those days, doctor, they did not have TMZ. They didn't have social media. You know, they didn't have all these different CNN or Fox News. Uh, hopefully your listeners are... Fox News uh, subscribers, nonetheless, tongue in cheek there. But Herodias noted, because he wrote down everything about Alexander the Great's life, and he noticed something about Alexander the Great. He never, never told anyone to go. He only invited them to come. And one of the great things that I, I've always tried to do is not be a teller, but be a shower. Mm. When we talk about show and tell as kids, it's kind of, you know, one of those things a lot of people like to tell. A lot of people like to tell, 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 tell. What I tried to do to differentiate our organization, and the proof was in the results, is show. And what I mean by a ride-along is I, instead of just telling someone about the opportunity, I wanted to put them in the car, go and show them how uh, to earn six, seven. I mean, I, I've got, I think, 10 millionaires now that, that are working you know, in our organization. I think I mean multi-millionaires. Uh, that started like I did, largely with nothing. But we showed them uh, how to become great versus just, uh, you know, telling and versus uh, just, just showing the results that we had experienced without enabling you to get in the kitchen. Hey, it's one thing to taste the food. I'm, I'm all about tasting the food. But when I get to watch the chef cook, when I get to watch what the chef uh, mixes in the way of a recipe, when I get to watch what temperature he puts the oven on and and what the uh, uh, the intricacies to the delicacies <laughs> that I'm enjoying. Now I've really learned something versus just tasting what it is uh, he's preparing. I love it. I, I mean, you're, you're quoting uh, Herodotus and Alexander the Great, but isn't that isn't that also the way Jesus? I mean, he he didn't say. I mean, he did at the end of his life, go ye into all the world. But he but first he said, follow me. Come and see where the Son of Man hath to lay his head. Uh, over, And he spent three years, I guess you could say, the apostles did a three-year ride-along. Isn't that? <laughs> I just never thought of it in that term. <laughs> well, you know, for me, Doc, I, I, would, I would go to cities and we would host these meetings. And, you know, it's, you're always, um, I just remember some of the, the greatest impactful members of the churches that the Lord kind of led us to, to, to be able to, uh, to, to, to pastor for a season. And, and you know, you, you, looking back on it, 
I always thought, let's say Mike would be a great leader, or maybe Tim would be a great leader. But so often it was the Billy Bob, you know, mm, it was, mm, it mm. was, the, it was the Timothy that you never really thought that guy would step up and have such an impact. And that is why from a ride along standpoint, you can't really judge that book by the cover. You got to find out what a man or a woman is made of. And so ride alongs for us in any city we went to. When I first started NASB doc, I, I remember walking through Hartsfield airport and we were very small. We were in Atlanta and I used to look at locations, destinations of flights, going to Las Vegas, going to Pittsburgh, going uh, to San Jose, going to Tampa, uh, going from, I don't know, Miami to Maryland. And I'd say, I want an office there. Mm. And when it was all said and done, we were in 47 States. We had, you know, some, I don't know, 15,000 agents, but the way we acquired those individuals was through ride-alongs, showing them how to be successful at our business. That's that. I love that idea. When I heard you teach on short and uh, I just, of all of them, that one really touched me the most to go from a standing start to start NASB, standing start to wind up with offices in 47 states, 15,000 agents, and you have actually trained people in the field that have done at least as well as you have or better. That's, that's amazing. I love that statistic. 10 millionaires have come through your training. And, and I think that is the proof of, of the ride along power. Yes, sir. I agree. I remember years ago when I was coaching women's basketball, uh, I had a second string guard. She was not very good. She worked hard at it, but she was never really going to get in a game at any crisis point. But every time we sat on the bench, that girl would come and sit by me and start asking me questions and things. And, uh, and I said to her one time, I said, Lisa, I'm so proud of you. You're, you're working hard to try to get Mary Beth's job. And she looked at me like I was crazy. She said, I'll never get Mary Beth's job. I'm, I'll never be that good. She said, I want your job. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that that's, that's the power of the ride along. I I love that. Well, I want to, I want to switch yet again. Uh, Tell me about your, you've got a brand new book called, uh, uh, interestingly titled driven and i like the uh, acrostic or the uh, the graphic on the front with the with the speedometer dial uh so i want to i want to start with this question <laughs> in many circles especially ministry circles drivenness is is a bad word i mean a really bad word uh, and you stepped right in and named the book driven i mean <laughs> you weren't hiding anything Tell me what you mean, what you mean by driven that isn't something dark and ominous. I, I think, I think self-awareness and, and the ability to look yourself in the mirror and if, if with no one else, be honest, mm. um, is something that is lacking oftentimes in, uh, in, in, in leadership, um, because it naturally oozes out of you anyway. Uh, I'm reminded, I think it was 12, uh, 12 rounds, 12 something, uh, the, the famous general when uh, the, the armies of the U.S. were going in to attack the Taliban. This was right after 9-11. And this, this general tosses something to the captain uh, of the U.S. forces going in. There were 12 men going in uh, and he caught it and he said, son, this came from the World Trade Center. Oh. He said, you know, the, the most 
powerful thing, listen, the most powerful thing a soldier can ever take into battle is a reason why. Beautiful. He said, so you carry this, you carry this when you ride across that desert. This is why we are striking back. I've always said the most powerful thing an agent can take into the field, the most powerful thing a businessman uh, can, can use and leverage to get him up early and keep him up late is a why. And I've heard a lot of people talk about why, but to me, it's finding that driver. It's finding the right trigger to pull. It's finding what it is. I think I heard you teach me that your pain becomes your pulpit. Mm. Whatever bothers you, whatever frustrates you, whatever it is that really irks you. Hey, the reason it irks you that you could be the person called to fix that. You, you could be the person that's called to, to clean that up. And so uh, reading the great Gary Smalley's book years ago, he talked about five love languages. God knows I've blown this so many times, but quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation. Man, I, you know, I used to tell you know my wife how great she looked, and baby, you just look amazing, and I love your earrings, and your hair is so radiant. It, honey, is that new lipstick? Or is that another new pair of black shoes? Lord have mercy. None of, none <laughs> of that moved her. Yeah, yeah. None of that moved her, Doc, because you know she was more of a quality time person. I, I, look, I could clean the house. I could wash the dishes. I could fold the clothes. She just wanted my time. In other words, I was loving her the wrong way. Mm. Now, if, if it's possible, and I'm, I'm suggesting for your consideration, it's possible if you can love someone the wrong way, you can lead someone the wrong way. Absolutely. So for years, I, I saw people come through organizations, come through my organization, and it wasn't that they failed. I failed as a leader because I never tapped into what drove them, what really drove them. And to me, it, it, I just wanted to you know, write a book that kind of depicted what I felt like I tapped into. That, by the way, never heard anybody else talk about it. You know, this is one of those things that God breathed this, so to speak, in my spirit. Five things, well, there was a sixth with an epilogue, but five things that I felt were drivers that I noted through my uh, business history and, and by the way, even, even some ministry history um, to, to be notable uh, drivers to, to create the success that was already in people. I just, I just had to, 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 to just kind of uh, tap on it a little bit, so to speak. You know, some people think of drivenness as this, uh, you know, this neurotic, ulcer-plagued, out-of-balance life, but that's the opposite. That's the that's not what you're talking about, being honest with yourself and honest about what motivates you. Uh, that the thing that you're talking about with drivenness, it sounds to me, is what is the motivating factor that causes you to strive for success and excellence? Is, isn't that what the book is really about? It really is, Doc, because for me, um, you know, number one, and I, I do think there comes a point where you have to be content in the gifts and in uh, the blessings. And let's just say, you know, when God kisses you to do. However, I believe success is maximizing your potential. I mean, I just, you know, to me, God put music in you. And if you die with that music inside you, woe be it unto you. You, look, you would tell it better than me of the, the parable of the talents where Christ himself said, look, don't bury that. Don't you dare demaximize or don't you dare, you know, not, not, not get every bit out of you that I put in you. And so that's what we tried to do with business. However, knowing what those things are and then being able to, to really press into that with someone, uh, that's, I, I think, what really God helped us be able to, 
to capture, so to speak, in, in the pages of the book and uh, in implementing it with, uh, with the agents. Yeah, I like your emphasis on self-awareness. To, to, I think so many people fail at things because they lie to themselves about what they really want. And to be self-aware, to really look in the mirror and say, okay, why I'm doing this is not, not trying to say something that sounds right on TV. Here's what my real fundamental motivation for this is. And I, I think that becomes that, that, thing that drives us toward doing well, toward using our gifts in a way to glorify God and, and find what we want out of life. And I, I just think that the book has a great deal to say about that. I, I appreciate you writing it. For me, just, just quickly, I know you kind of wanted me to just hit this uh, just, just briskly, and I will. What I found, if there were five love languages, there could be five success languages as well. And so, you know, we just went through revenue, recognition, rivalry, revenge, and relevance. Again, revenue, recognition, rivalry, revenge, and relevance. Those were the five components or aspects, or let's say drivers that I found over the last, you know, 10 plus years in business that really encapsulized, that, that really, they, these were triggers, these were motivators, these were accelerants in every person I've ever worked with. If I can find out what moves John, because what moves John you know, won't necessarily move George. What moves George may not necessarily move Jeff. What really intensifies and just uh, just 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 pulls so much out of uh, you know Jonathan, right? May not necessarily be the same as does Jennifer. Exactly. But but all of us have a driver, and if we can tap into it, we'll get the most out of that individual. For those of you that are listening today on the. Leader's Notebook, I want to say to you, get this book, read the book Driven, get it from Craig, I'm going to ask him to give you the website in just a moment, but I like the way that Craig uses at least two words that may raise your eyebrows. One is driven, and the other is revenge. I'm not going to ask him what it means on the show today, but you need to read the chapter on revenge because... It's not what you think. <laughs> and uh, I loved that chapter. And, uh, and I, I hope you'll enjoy the book as well, too. And I have one last question I want to ask you. Suppose they, somebody said, hey, I, I think I want Craig to teach me how to do this and succeed. I, I, I may want to connect up to NASB or even if they just want a book. How can they do that? Uh, oh, com. as silly as it sounds, I just Craig at NASBnation.com will, will give you access uh, to an inbox there. And, and those individuals know how to find me. And uh, it, it's something that, you know, it, it, while, while I'm not going to say it's necessarily for everybody, it's for leaders of men, leaders of women, people that, are, that, that have an organization that uh, are looking to pull everything they can out of the, and by the way, doc, for me, I felt a responsibility. I felt the calling same way in ministry. You know, I was the guardian of their soul as a pastor. Mm. You, you guys, you, those of you in ministry right now, you, you talk about a big deep breath when you are ne not necessarily the guardian of anyone's soul. Anymore. Mm, mm. I, I, you talk about, you talk about a, a, a man, not a, Look, a mantle's heavy, Doc. Okay? Yes, it is. A mantle's got to be heavy, right? So with that thing kind of, when you're able to transfer that, and now it's like, okay, my job, I have a financial responsibility to, to, to make sure this individual goes from here to there. Um, it, it's, it, wasn't as, it wasn't as heavy, so to speak. It was a lot easier. 
let me say this. It was a lot easier building a company of 15,000 plus than a church of 15,000. Wow. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I believe you. I believe you. Craig, I want to close with this. Um, It's a question I try to ask every person I interview on the Leader's Notebook. And it seems like a simple question, but I've been amazed at the wide range of answers. And here's the question. If you could speak to every leader, religious, political, uh, business leaders everywhere, and somebody said, all right, you can talk to them all, but you can only tell them one thing. What would be the, the one great thing you would tell leaders everywhere in every category of life? Wow, what a, what, <laughs> what a question with an audience such as this. Um, you know, so often I think in in, in life, when I was a young leader, I had to prepare for something that was just a vision. It was just a dream. And my reality did not depict, um, the work I had to put in to one day stand on the stage I will be standing on. Mm. In other words, I can remember when I was in my young twenties and you know, you're not really leading anyone then. It's very, it's very small. I love what John Maxwell says. If you think you're leading, if nobody's following, you're just taking a walk. And uh, <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to my buddy John Maxwell there. Uh, but for, you know, for me, I, I, go, I go back to something that's helped me. Most people don't need more knowledge. And that's where I, where I think, you know, we're in a knowledge-crazed society. And I'm, obviously you being the great doctor that you are, and you've been a hero of mine for years. I'm, I'm not discounting knowledge. What, 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 I, what I do want to, to really emphasize, though, is more self-knowledge. Beautiful. And the reason I say that, a lot of us strive for information, but what we don't know is ourselves. Beautiful. And when you begin to know yourself, when you begin to track yourself, it enables you to really be the best version of you that you can be. And while I can't control the decisions or the actions of others, I can control my own. And attempting to continue every day, uh, every moment, every chance you get to, to, to kind of be that example. That's what Jesus did is in the good times and the bad times, uh, in, in the valleys and in the mountains, on the sea and on the shore. He showed his disciples, this is who I want you to be. He lived the life. Beautiful. And so for me, leaders, man, live the life. And, and that's my point. Stop trying to be somebody or not. Stop trying to, you know, uh, you know, keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, or do what you think someone else is doing to make them successful. I think a lot of us die, you know, these, these uh, fake carbon copies instead of uh, the originals that, that God birthed us and created us to be. And I think once you embrace that, once you accept that, and then you begin to live that, oh, there's just, it, it unlocks something inside you because you, st- you, you don't have to pretend. You, you be yourself and you show others, you show others, you model it. You, you do what Alexander the Great says. You go to a place and invite others to come there and to join you. I follow that. That's why I followed you, sir. Uh, and I appreciate you having me on. Oh, beautiful. What a great answer. Self-awareness, self-knowledge. Some of the phoniest political leaders I've ever seen on TV and, and even in person. I, I sat there the whole time thinking, are you not at all aware of who you are? The, the empty suits that have no clue of who they are or who God wants them to be. Craig, uh, thank you so much for joining me today on the Leader's Notebook. It's been a, a rich interview. I urge people to get in touch with Craig, read the book Driven, uh, find out what revenge 
is really all about and know what you thought. (laughs) And for you, I'm so glad that you've joined today at The Leader's Notebook. Until we meet again, this has been The Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.